Chapter 13 Return to Corellia The following day, Morav and Murg made ready to set off on their honeymoon, and Bria and Han prepared to raise ship for the Corellian system. At their final moment of parting, Murg grasped Han by the shoulders and shook him very gently. I will miss you, he said in his halting, but much improved, basic. Must you go? You like to Goria, you said so. Without you, I would never have found Mrov. The Margrave of Altagoria has asked me to tell you that you and Bria are welcome to stay forever. You can hunt with us, Khan. Fly, Moskov. We would be happy. Han smiled at the big alien. And see Bria only once a year? I'm afraid that's not the way we humans do things, pal. But thanks for the invite, Merg. Maybe I'll come back and see how you and Rob are doing some day. Han, do that. And soon, Merg said, his basic disintegrating in the face of strong emotion. He grabbed the Corellian in a hug, scooping him clean off the ground. Han hugged him back. Bria and Morav also exchanged a fond farewell. You will conquer your need for the exaltation, Morav told Bria earnestly. I did. For a long while after I made myself resist it, I grieved for it. But after many days, the longing eased, and now I never feel it. I let my anger against those slavers help me wipe the longing from my spirit. I hope I can be as strong as you, Marat, Bria said. You already are, the Tagorian female assured her. You just don't realize it yet. Once aboard the talisman, Han lifted the Yelishan yacht into the clear skies of Tagoria with a genuine feeling of regret. This is a good world, he said to Bria, who was sitting beside him in the co-pilot's seat. Good people, too. Yes, she agreed. It was certainly good to us. I'll never forget yesterday if I live to be a hundred. Han smiled at her. Me neither, sweetheart. All my life I wanted to go to the beach and just be able to act like a regular citizen. No scams, no security forces to worry about, no contraband burning a hole in my pocket. Thanks to you, I know what that's like now. She gave him such a tender smile that he leaned over and kissed her. Bria, I... Han hesitated, took a deep breath, and then shook his head. Squaring his shoulders, he turned back to his controls and grew very busy with his piloting. Bria sat there watching him, never taking her eyes off him as he calculated their jump to hyperspace and fed the coordinates he'd chosen into the computer. When the stars streaked by them and they had safely made the jump, she swiveled her seat toward his and put a hand on his arm. Yes, she said. 
Go on. You were saying? Han tried to look innocent and failed. Huh? What do you mean? You were about to tell me something when you got busy piloting. Well, we're safely in a hyperspace now, so there's no reason you can't tell me. She smiled slightly. I'm waiting. Well, I was just thinking that I'm hungry. He finished in a rush. Really hungry. Let's go get some lunch. We ate before we left barely an hour ago, she reminded him. Her expression gentle, she reached out and captured one of his hands and held it in both her own. Tell me, she said. Well, he shrugged. I'm telling you I'm hungry again. Are you? She asked quietly. I... He shook his head, obviously ill at ease. Uh, no. Hey, Bria, honey. I'm no good at this. You're good at some things, she said, smiling impishly. Like what? He challenged, grinning back. Like piloting and fighting and rescuing people. Yeah, I guess I am. He looked at her again, and all the sudden rush of bravado faded. Priya, what I was trying to say was that I... He cleared his throat. This is not easy. I know, she said. I know. Raising his hand to her lips, she kissed it, then said, Han, I love you too. He looked both pleased and surprised. You do? Yes. For a long time now. I think I fell in love with you that day in the refectory, when you wouldn't go away no matter how much I told you to. Really? I didn't know until... I don't know when I knew, but when I figured it out. It scared me, Bria. Never happened to me before. Loving someone? Or being loved? Both. Except for Dulana. She loved me, I guess. But that was different. Yes. Her eyes were shining. This is different. I just hope we can be together, Han. Now it was his turn to take her hands in his. Of course we'll be together, he said. I won't let anything get in the way of that. Count on it, sweetheart. Han set a course for the talisman that took them far away from hot space and brought them in a leisurely three-day trip to the Corellian system. He was deliberately prolonging his and Bria's time alone together. Inwardly, he was dreading having to go back to Corellia and meet her family. He knew almost nothing about how... Citizens lived, and he was pretty sure he would have trouble fitting in. He also knew that once they reached Trallis, he'd have to get busy. Han was all ready to change identities as soon as they landed on Corellia, but Bria would be wanted by the Talanda Till and the Huts too, and they knew her real name. The first thing Han planned to do as soon as he had credits available was to equip Bria with a fake ID. Besides, he was trying to give her as much time as he could to heal. 
He knew she still pined for the exultation, though she no longer broke down in panic attacks or fits of sobbing, but several times he'd awakened in the night to find her gone. When he searched for her, he usually found her in the control cabin, sitting in the co-pilot's seat and staring out at the stars with such wistful longing in her eyes that Han felt a pang of jealousy. Why can't I be enough for her? Why isn't our love enough? He wondered. He wanted to be enough for her, wanted her to be happy and content, but he could tell she wasn't. It grieved Han, and it made him angry, too. Once he tried to talk to her about it. It's been almost ten days. Why do you miss it so much still? He demanded, hearing the edge of anger in his voice and unable to stop it. Tell me, Bria, make me understand. She gazed at him, her blue-green eyes very sad, almost haunted. I can't explain it, Han. It's like they took a piece of me, a piece of my spirit. It's not just missing the exaltation itself, the pleasure, the warmth. I'm getting past that. It's the... She faltered, then fell silent. He was sitting beside her in the pilot's seat, and he reached out and grasped her hands. They were cold and he warmed them gently in his. Go on, he said quietly. I'm here. I'm listening. Both Mirov and Teroenza were wrong when they said only weak-minded people fall into the trap of the Yelishan religion. Bria said slowly, selecting her words with care. Oh, some of the pilgrims may be discontented people who've never been successful in life, and are looking for a way to escape responsibility. But not most of them. I got to know a lot of them, Han. Yeah, you did, he encouraged. Most of the Yelishan pilgrims were idealists, I guess you'd say. People who believed that there was something better, some meaning to life. They went looking in the wrong places. They got fooled into believing the priests bilge about the one and the all. But that doesn't make their goal, their aspiration, of believing in a higher power stupid. He nodded and saw tears gather in her beautiful eyes and spill over. Concerned, he burst out, Bria, sweetheart, don't tear yourself up like this. Just because this religion turned out to be a hokey fake doesn't mean life isn't worth living. We have each other. We're going to have money. We'll be fine. Han? Gently, she touched his cheek, caressed his face, and gave him a loving smile. You're the ultimate pragmatist, aren't you? If you're not getting shot at or caught in a tractor beam... Life is great, right? He shook his head, a little stung. I'm a simple guy, yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't understand what you're talking about, Bria. It would be nice if there were some higher power, maybe. I just don't happen to believe there is. And it hurts me to see you hurt. 
Han, don't you realize that the only person you can really take care of and protect is you? And you, Rhea, he broke in. Don't forget that for one second. We're a team, sweetheart. Yes, she said. We are a team, but it's hard for me to be content with not being shot at or having money. I want more. You want some reason for everything that happens. You want to work to make your ideals real, he said. Yes, she agreed. But I understand that you don't let questions like the meaning of life torment you. You're probably the smart one, Han. Smart? Han frowned. I ain't dumb, I know that. But I never pretended to be a philosopher or something. Right. You don't go around tearing yourself up over injustice and corruption and wrongdoing. You accept things as they are, and you figure out ways around them. Right? He thought about that and finally nodded. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe a long time ago, I had some ideas about how I could become someone who righted wrongs and kicked the bad guy's butts, but... He sighed and gave her a wry smile. I think I got those ideas beaten out of me by the time I was just a little kid. When you lived under Garrus Shrike's rule, you tumbled pretty quick to the fact that nobody was going to look out for you except yourself, and that sticking your neck out for anyone else was a good way to get it whacked off. How about Julana? She asked. Yeah, I knew you'd bring her up. Han ran a hand through his hair and grimaced. Julana was different. We looked out for each other, yeah. But she was the only one Bria the only one who gave a Vrelt's ass if I lived or died. Knowing that made me a uh, pragmatist, I guess. Of course it did, she said. That's perfectly natural. But go on, he urged. You were saying about how the pilgrims were idealists? Are you one? She nodded. I think so, Han. All my life I wanted to be more, to be better, to make the universe a better place because I was in it. When I found the Yelishan religion, I really, truly thought that was it, that I could somehow change the universe by believing and having faith. She smiled wryly and shrugged. Obviously I picked the wrong thing to believe in. Yeah, he said turning over in his mind what she'd said. But there are other things to believe in, Bria. Maybe some of them are real. Maybe you just have to find out what the real things are. She stood up and came over to him, then bent down to kiss the top of his head. He stood up and slid his arms around her, held her tightly. I know what one real thing is, she said. You're real. You're the most real person I've ever met, the most alive. He kissed her cheek, and she laid her head on his shoulder. They stood there like that for a minute, not speaking. Finally, he said, Dulana told me about something she believes in, some sort of life strength shared by all creatures, all things. 
She believed in that. She swore to me it was real. Maybe I should go off to Kashyyyk, she said, on a pilgrimage. Sure, he said. Someday we'll go there. I'd like to see it. Yolana said it was a beautiful world. They live in the treetops. That would be nice, she said dreamily. Just you and me in a treetop. What would we do with ourselves all day? I can think of one thing, he said, and bent to kiss her with such passion that even the stars seemed to reel around her in long streaks, and her ears rang. No, she realized a moment later, it wasn't Han's kiss that had caused that reaction. It was the alarm beeping to tell them they were coming out of hyperspace. Han grimaced. Talk about bad timing, sweetheart, but later, okay? She smiled. Later, I'll hold you to it. He was already back in his seat as he checked their coordinates, but he spared a moment to give her a grin that made her heart turn over. I can hardly wait. Han set the talisman down in a privately owned landing field on Trallis. What is this place? Bria said, following him down the ramp and looking around her in bewilderment. Ships of all sizes and descriptions were clustered together. Some were little more than rusted-out hulks. Others looked almost brand new. None had any identifying codes or names, however. Those markings had been scoured off by laser torches. It's like a ship's graveyard or something. Yeah. Old spaceships never die. They just wind up at truthful Torrell's used spaceship lot. Han said, when you need a ship, or you want to get rid of a ship, and you don't want to leave a trail, you come here. Her eyes widened. These ships are all stolen? Most of them, he said. Ours is, too, remember? Bria grimaced. I keep trying to forget. Han glanced over at the small office, set in the middle of the vast landing field. And here comes Truthful Toral himself, he said. Truthful Toral was a Duros, a tall, thin, blue-skinned humanoid, completely bald. His face was quite human except for the absence of a nose, which gave him a mournful appearance. Han stepped forward, his hand held out. Good day to you, Traveler Toro, he said. Doros loved to travel so much that the word traveler was their preferred honorific. I'm Kiel Datana, and this is my associate, Kyloria Mabal. Very pleased to meet you. And I you, Toro said. Greetings to two travelers. You have time for refreshment and sharing of stories? The Duros were famed for being wonderful storytellers throughout the galaxy. Aduros had a near-photographic memory for any story he or she heard. Most Duros collected stories, and apparently Toral was no exception. I'm sorry, Han said. We are in a bit of a rush. There's a passenger vessel we have to catch. 
I quite understand, the Duro said, since you are taking public transport. I gather you are here to sell, not buy, a ship. You're right, traveler, Hans said. It's in prime condition, too. A lovely little pleasure yacht. Just needs a little refitting to be perfect for some rich Corellian family who wants to take the kids on the perfect vacation. Yacht? Bria thought Toro's voice sharpened on the word, but couldn't be sure. I will look and quote you a price, traveler Detana. Han led the way to where the talisman rested. The Duros's normally mournful appearing features lengthened even farther when he saw the Elysian vessel. Let me show you around, Han said, pointing at the ramp. The Duros shook his bald blue head. No, indeed, he said. I can offer you five thousand. Firm. Han gaped at the alien, completely shaken out of his normal confident demeanor. Huh? he said blankly. What? That's crazy. Five thousand for a ship like this? That's scrap price. The Duros bowed slightly in Han's direction. Indeed it is, Traveler Drago. He bowed in Bria's direction. And Traveler Theron? Waving a hand at the talisman, truthful Torrell said sadly, I agree that it is a shame to reduce such a beautiful vessel to scrap. But that is all I could do with her. The Hots are searching for this vessel, searching intensively, as they are searching for the resourceful pilot, Vic Drago, who stole her. Han turned away, and Bria saw his lips move in a scathing curse, but when he turned back to face truthful Toro, his composure was in place again. I see, he said. Five thousand. Firm. Yes, I might be persuaded to raise that price slightly if you and your companion would tell me your stories, Toro added hopefully. Sorry, pal, no can do, Han said. He shrugged. Okay, five thousand it is. Cash. Cash, it is. Truthful, Toral said. Later that same day, General Andrus and his wife, Drea Andrus, boarded an intersystem shuttle bound for Corellia. Bria had worried about posing as husband and wife, but Han had assured her that the hut security alert bulletins listed them as being single. Privately, he was worried about whether the Hots would try to trace them, since they knew Bria's last name. But he was also aware that the Hots wouldn't want a scene, or their scam on Yelisha revealed to the public. He had to hope that would keep them from openly trying to have them arrested. Han wasn't figuring on staying on Corellia long. The pair arrived on their homeworld early in the evening and caught a transcontinental shuttle to the southern continent where the Theron home was located. When they arrived at the station, which Bria said was within walking distance of her home, they were tired and grubby with no way to change clothes. Their only luggage was the backpack that held Teroenza's treasures. So, Han said, 
shifting from one foot to the other and looking out of the station window into a soft, foggy drizzle. Now what? Find a place to hold up until morning? Or should we call them and warn them? I think I had better call, Bria said, sounding uncertain herself. Wait here. She headed off to borrow the station master's comm link. A few minutes later, she was back. Hans saw how drawn and tired she looked and put an arm around her. So, how'd it go? She smiled warmly. My mother nearly fainted. Then she started screaming at me. She sighed. I know she loves me, but the ways she shows it make me want to scream sometimes. She wants the best for me, as long as it's her idea of what's best. Han nodded, thinking for the first time in his life that perhaps he'd have been lucky in a way, never having to deal with parents. So, do we start walking? She shook her head. No, my father is coming for us in the speeder. He'll be here any minute. Even as she spoke, an expensive speeder pulled up outside of the station. A handsome, distinguished-looking man with gray hair and a heavy-set build was at the controls. As Han and Bria approached the vehicle, the man leaped out of the speeder and, laughing and crying at the same time, embraced his daughter. Long moments later, he turned to shake hands with Han. I'm pleased to meet you, he said. I understand from Bria that you saved her from, well, from terrible things. All I can say is thank you. Thank you, uh, Solo, sir, Han said. Make it, Han. Theron's grip was firm. Please. Call me Wren, Han. Yes, sir. The ride to Bria's home was short. They passed through a reinforced set of security gates, then headed down a road that seemed to have no other houses on it. Han glanced to each side and saw high fences, the type he'd used to sneer at back during his days as a burglar. Not many people live out here, he observed. Oh, this is our land, Ren Theron said carelessly. Bought it years ago as a cushion between ourselves and our neighbors. I'm a man who likes my privacy. He turned the vehicle into a drive that was closed with another, equally reinforced but more ornamental gate. Beyond it, Hans saw the house and mumbled a virulent curse in Hatiz under his breath. Bria, baby. He thought grimly. Why didn't you tell me your family was rich enough to buy and sell half of Corellia? The house was huge. Wings and modified towers and landscaping to match. The Theron house made Cousin Thracken's place look like a cottage. Bria turned to Han and smiled tremulously. Well, we're here. Yeah. Han said, deliberately keeping his voice non-committal. He could tell that Bria was nearly sick with anxiety, and he didn't want to worry her more than she was. At least there was one advantage to Bria's parents being rich. The Hots would never dare to try to grab her while she was in her parents' home. That would surely cause a major interstellar incident, and Hots preferred to work clandestinely. 
before the party could reach the front door. Bria's mother came bursting out, dressed in a flowing gown that Han could only recognize as rich. Darling, she gasped, enfolding Bria in her arms. Han stood off to the side, glad to be out of the way until Bria and her parents were finished with their greetings. Midway through the whole hubbub of greetings, recriminations, tears, embraces, and excited questions and answers, Bria's brother came home. Han recalled Bria saying her brother's name was Pavik. Unlike his sister, Pavik Theron took after his mother. Short, slender, with dark hair and green eyes. He was a handsome youth and seemed genuinely fond of his sister. It was a long time before Bria could disengage herself from her family to introduce Han. Eyes shining, she took his hand and led him over to meet her mother, Sarah Theron, and her brother. Pleased to meet you, Lady Theron, Han said, shaking hands and putting on his best manners. And you, Pavik. Bria's mother's hand clasp was limp and unenthusiastic. She studied Han, and he gained the quick impression that she didn't much like what she saw. He sighed inwardly. I've got a very bad feeling about this. Well, please come in, Sarah Theron said. Let's all sit down. I must say, this has been a shock. I never thought I'd see my baby again. I really didn't. Bria, darling, how could you do this to us? Still murmuring recriminations, Sarah Theron led the way inside. When Han reached the parlor of the house and they all sat down, he had to repress the urge to leap up and stride out. I don't belong here, he thought. I know it, and they know it. The thought made him angry. Refusing to let his discomfort show, Han sat down and lounged back against the opulent cushions with a deliberate show of ease. He looked around, his professional eye automatically assessing the credit of value the knick-knacks and decorations would have to a fence. Nice place, he said casually. Well, uh... Sarah began. Han, call me Han, Lady Theron, Han said. Very well, Han, Bria's mother said stiffly. I gather we have you to thank for Bria's return. Her eyes were fixed on Han's blaster, and he realized that, like most citizens, none of Bria's family went armed. Tough lady, Han thought. I don't take off my blaster for you or anybody. Live with it. Well, I... Tried to be helpful, Lady Theron, Han replied, but I couldn't have managed without Bria. She's plenty tough when she wants to be. Good in a fight. Lady Theron stiffened, and Han realized that the woman would not regard what he'd said as a compliment. Oh, dear, she murmured. Bria, darling, before you sit down, why don't you go and change? Really, dear, where did you? Get those dreadful clothes. The tailor droid at the Elysian colony, Bria said quickly, and she cast an appealing glance at Han, as if to ask whether he'd be all right. Han gave her a reassuring wave. Run along, honey. Lady Theron stiffened again at the casual endearment, 
Bria smiled at Han, gave her mother and brother a doubtful glance, and went quickly from the room. So, Han, Pavit Theron said, what do you do? He was staring closely at Han, his eyes assessing in a way that made the pilot uncomfortable. Oh, whatever it takes to get by. Han replied carelessly. Mostly I'm a pilot. In the Navy? Lady Theron asked, brightening slightly. Are you an officer? Nope. Freighters, ma'am. I can fly most anything anywhere. That's why I was on Eulatia, running... Han broke off, remembering for the first time in a long while that the contraband spice trade was highly illegal. That is, hauling cargo. Uh, murmured Lady Theron, obviously not understanding, but uncomfortable with Han's answer. How interesting. Yeah, it has its moments, Han said. I started out as a pilot many years ago. Wren Theron said, a note of approval in his voice. Well, I was about your age, Han. Worked my way up until I owned the shipping company. That's how I made my first million. Han thought of telling Wren Theron that he was intending to enter the Imperial Academy, but the habit of not revealing any personal information was too ingrained. He just smiled and nodded at Bria's father. Those were the exciting days, sir he said. Lots of pirates back then, right? Ren Theron smiled. I had a few run-ins. I imagine you have, too. Han smiled back. A few. Sarah Theron looked from one to the other, vaguely disturbed. Oh, dear. That sounds dangerous. Comes with the job, Lady Theron, Han said. But I'm forgetting my manners, she said. Captain Solo, can I get you something to drink or eat? I wouldn't mind an Alderanian ale, Hans said. And some flatbread with meat and cheese. We've been traveling all day. I'll tell the cook, Lady Theron said. Han was astonished to realize that the cook was a living being, a female Salonian instead of a droid. This further evidence of wealth impressed him more than anything he'd yet encountered. By the time Bria reemerged, Han was sitting out in the dining room, eating. He saw her walk out and paused in mid-bite. She wore a plain blue-green dress that matched her eyes. The soft fabric had a faint sheen and clung to her in all the right places, and for the first time since he'd known her, Bria's hair was attractively styled. Brushed out into a halo of soft red-gold curls, she looked so different from the blaster-toting thief of a few days ago that it was as though she'd stepped out of another universe. It's a good thing Donner Toss can't see her now. He thought wryly. You look beautiful, honey, he said. That's a pretty dress. Han was sophisticated enough to realize that dress probably cost more credits than the average space pilot earned in a week. She's been raised to have so much, he thought uneasily. How is she going to react to living on the salary of first 
an imperial cadet, then an imperial officer? Bria smiled and sat down beside him. Mother, could I have something to eat, too? I'm starved. As Han and Bria munched their late-night snack, her family gathered around the table and sipped expensive vine caffeine from fragile, levier-made porcelain cups while the butler, another Salonian, waited on them. So, Captain Solo, you're Karelian? Lady Theron said, raising a delicate eyebrow to indicate that she was pretty sure he was. Han, still chewing, nodded, then swallowed. Yes, ma'am. And your family? she asked. Are you one of the Sal Solos? There was a touch of hope in her voice. They have a lovely old estate, I understand. I've met the son a few times, but Lady Sal Solo is very reclusive. I understand her health is not robust. No, Lady Theron, Han replied. No relation. Oh, she said, visibly disappointed. What branch of the family are you from, then? Rhea was looking very uncomfortable, Han noticed, but he couldn't tell whether she was ill at ease for him or because of him. Don't know, Lady Theron, he said honestly. I'm an orphan, most likely. Traders found me wandering in an alley down by the waterfront near Capital Spaceport when I was a little kid. I was raised by him, spent most of my time in space. Part of him took a perverse pleasure in watching her reaction to this information. That's odd. Pavik, Theron said. You look so familiar. I know I've seen you somewhere before. Somewhere at a barbecue, I think. I have a mental picture of seeing you at a barbecue that followed a swoop racing meet. Hans stiffened inwardly. Now that Pavik mentioned it. Han remembered him, too. Pavik was probably two or three years older than Han, and Bria's brother had been a frequent competitor at some of the swoop races. Due to the age difference, they'd never raced against each other, but Han remembered seeing him. And, of course, every time he'd done major swoop racing, Han had been part of a family unit created by Garrus Shrike to scam wealthy Corellians out of their money. Sorry, don't remember you, he said casually. I've been off-world for the past several years. Afraid I ain't been to a Corellian barbecue since I was a kid. But I remember it distinctly, Pavik said, narrowing his eyes suspiciously. You were leaning against a swoop, eating a plate of barbecue Trelodden ribs. The picture in my mind is very clear. Funny thing about that, Han said, leaning back in his seat with a smile. People are always saying stuff like that to me. I must have one of those kind of faces, so ordinary that lots of people confuse me with other folks. I don't think you're ordinary-looking, Han, Bria said, not understanding what was going on, but trying to be loyal. I don't think anyone who ever met you could forget you. You're unique. She gave him a smile. Handsome, too. Han took a deep breath and managed to smile blandly at the assembled Therans. Thanks, honey, he said. But I'm really just an ordinary kind of guy. 
Bria finally caught the subtle hint and fell into silence. Pavak Theron continued to study Hans suspiciously. Well, Sarah Theron said too brightly, I'm sure you're both tired. Captain Solo, I'll have Maronia prepare one of the guest rooms for you. Bria, obviously you'll want your room back, and dear, I haven't changed a thing. I just knew that some day you'd come to your senses and return to us. I really couldn't just decide to leave, Mother, Bria said quietly. Once you go to Yelisha, they won't let you leave. There are no ships, and there are armed guards. If it hadn't been for Han, I would never have been able to escape. Oh, dear, Lady Theron said, distressed, and looking as if she didn't know what to believe. Han had the impression that the woman's entire exposure to the seamier side of life probably occurred through the Tridy action-adventure serials. I understand that, Bria, Ren Theron said, holding Han's eyes with his own. And I'll never forget it. Han is a hero, Sarah, and we owe him more than we can ever repay. If it hadn't been for him, we'd never have seen Bria again. He probably saved her life. Oh, oh dear. Lady Theron was increasingly unnerved by these allusions to the danger her daughter had been in. Pavik Theron was looking increasingly skeptical. Han followed the Salonian maid, Marania, to the room on the far side of the house. He was amused to note that his room was as far as it could possibly be from Bria's, and that the master's suite occupied by her parents lay between the two rooms. Bria's mother, it seemed, had decided to nip any chance of wee hours assignations between her guest and her daughter in the bud. Can't wait until we sell Terrellenza's stuff and get out of here, he thought as he undressed and crawled into the bed. Bria's dad ain't so bad. He seems like he used to be a regular guy. But her mom and her brother... Han sighed and closed his eyes. Tonight, at least. Lady Theron need have no fears. He was so tired that the only thing on his mind was sleep. Funny thing about that. In some ways, spending two hours in the company of Bria's family had tired him out more than that whole escape from Elysia. Bria's mother came into her room to say goodnight and gave her a last hug before she fell asleep. It was a tearful time for both mother and daughter. They hugged and cried a little, then hugged again. I'm so glad to have my little girl back. Lady Theron whispered. It's good to be back, mother, Bria said, and at that moment she sincerely meant it. The evening had been a strain, no doubt. But things will get better. They're bound to, she thought, trying to comfort herself. Han is so lovable. She's bound to fall for his charm and see how wonderful he is. This young man you've brought home her mother said, almost as though she'd been reading her daughter's mind. It's fairly obvious that you're not just friends, dear. Exactly how involved are you two? 
Bria gazed at her mother unflinchingly. I love Han, mother, and he loves me. He wants me to stay with him. Nobody has mentioned marriage yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if the subject came up. Her mother took a quick, sharp breath, as though her worst fears had been confirmed. But something in Bria's choice of words alerted her, and like a hungry vrelt, she pounced. I see. Well, he seems like a nice young man, though somewhat rough around the edges, dear. But you say that he wants you to stay with him. Is that what you want? Bria nodded her head, then shook it, then had to fight back tears. She shrugged miserably. Mother, I'm not sure. I know I love him, really love him, but it's been hard for me. Leaving Yelisha, finding out that the religion I believed in and was devoting my whole life to was nothing but a lie. That hurt. A lot. I feel as though part of me is missing, Mother and I also feel that I can't really promise to stay with Han when I'm not whole. Does he know you have these doubts? her mother asked, smoothing Bria's hair back tenderly. The young woman didn't miss the spark of happiness that had flared up in her mother's eyes when she'd spoken of her uncertainty about staying with Han. She doesn't want me to stay with him. She realized with a dull ache of expectation fulfilled. I knew she'd be like this. It's so unfair. The only reason I'm uncertain about staying with Han is because of me, not how I feel about him. But she doesn't understand. She's incapable of understanding. We've talked, Bria said, unwilling to confide in her mother any more than she'd already done. And I can't imagine life without Han, so I'm going to do the best I can to stay with him and be a help to him. Her mother looked troubled, but said no more. Bria lay down and tried to sleep. Being in her old bed was a luxury after sleeping on the hard Yelishan bunks and in the ship. She missed Han's warmth, though. Her bed seemed cold. Bria tossed and turned, thinking of Han, wondering what she should do. He deserves someone better, she thought sadly, someone who can be there for him one hundred percent. Pounding her pillow in frustration, Bria felt tears well up again. Why can't anything ever be easy? I found a man I can love who loves me. Why can't that be enough? But it wasn't. Alone in the darkness of her childhood room, Bria acknowledged that. She began to cry softly, aching with misery. After a long time, she cried herself to sleep. The next day, Han left the Theron house shortly after breakfast and headed off to catch the shuttle to the nearest large city. He carried with him the backpack containing the items he and Bria had stolen from Terroenza. After the disappointing revenues received from the sale of the talisman, Han knew he had to get top price for their small treasure trove. He disembarked from the shuttle in the port city of Tyrena and went to a lockbox office where he retrieved a few hundred credits and a set of clean IDs for one Genos Edanian. 
Then he went off to a branch of the Imperial Bank and opened an account using the credits and ID. When that errand was finished, he went in search of an antiquities and art store he recalled from past escapades. It had been several years since he'd visited it, and for all he knew, the little store might have closed. But no, the place was still there. The sign above the door was picked out in subdued holographic lights, opalescent against the plain gray stone of the storefront. Han, toting the backpack, went inside. As he opened the door, he could hear a soft chime from deep within the store. Han saw the clerk behind the counter, but he ignored the female Salonian. Instead, he walked as directly as possible through the labyrinthine paths between the displays of merchandise, until he reached a small door set inconspicuously at the back. It was covered with an ancient tapestry depicting the founding of the Republic, and only certain customers ever discovered the door was behind it. Once there, he looked around to make sure he was alone and unobserved. Then he knocked sharply in a preordained pattern. He waited, and after another minute, the sound of an electronic lock being released sounded from the other side of the door. Han raised the tapestry, slipped under it, and walked through into the back room. The proprietor was an old, old man, still spry despite his stooped body, wrinkled face, and wispy yellow-white hair. Galadon O'Canner had looked exactly the same in the five years since Han had first met him. Now he looked up and smiled at Han. Well, it's, um, who today, son? Han smiled. Genos Idanian, sir. How are you? He genuinely liked the little man, who was, at one and the same time, a genuinely respected art assessor and appraiser, and a very competent and trustworthy fence. Oh, can't complain, can't complain, said the little man, because if I did, what good would it do me? He added, emitting a wheezing chuckle. You got a point, Han said. O'Connor sat down on a high stool before a table that was lit with a jeweler's and appraiser's light, specially angled and illumined to show flaws in gemstones and cracks or flaws in antiques. He waved to a seat opposite his. Sit down, sit down, General Sidonian. What have you brought me today? Lots of things, Han said. I'd like a price for the lot, and I'd like the credits deposited immediately in the Imperial Bank on Coruscant. Fine, fine, said O'Connor. He rubbed his aged, veiny hands together. You usually have good taste, Genos. Now, let's see what you've brought me. Okay, Han said, and began unloading the knapsack placing each item on the table beneath the light. He held back his favorite treasure, though, a tiny golden statue of a long-extinct Corellian Palador. It was beautiful, and its eyes were flawless Carol fire gems. O'Connor watched avidly, occasionally uttering a soft, Ooh, or, ah, but he forbore to speak 
until Han was finished. Then he carefully picked up each piece, studied it intently, sometimes through a jeweler's glass, then placed it on the table again and went on to the next. Remarkable, most remarkable, he said, finally. I am going to break a rule of mine and ask you where in the name of the galaxy you found all of this. In a museum? I do not approve of stealing from museums, you know. Han shook his head. Not a museum. A private collection? O'Connor pursed his lips. I am most impressed, lad. The collector in question is a sentient of taste and discrimination. I will also tell you, young man, that he is not very particular about his acquisition sources. I recognize from their description that at least half of these items have been reported stolen. Some have been on wanted lists for years. Doesn't surprise me, Han said. And you, you'll sell them to museums, won't you? Most of them, most of them, O'Connor agreed. Okay, then, that's good, Han said, thinking that would please Bria. That's where they should be. So, how much? O'Connor named a figure. Han gave the old man a look of withering contempt and reached for his knapsack. There's a guy over in Colleen who will be thrilled to get a look at this stuff. I can see I should have visited him first, he said, reaching for the scrimshawed bantha tusk from Tatooine. O'Connor named another higher figure. Silently, Han began stowing items in the backpack. O'Connor sighed as though he'd just breathed his last and named another figure, considerably higher than the previous sum. And that's final, he added. Han shook his head. It better not be, O'Connor. I need at least five thousand more than that. O'Connor clutched his chest and watched with anguished eyes as Han continued to stow items away in the backpack. Finally, as Han reached for the last, the tiny sculpture carved from living ice, he squeaked, No, don't! You are killing me, impoverishing me! I shall be naked in the streets, Genos lad! Would you do that to an old man? Han gave him a feral grin. In a heartbeat, O'Connor. I know what I need to get out of this deal. I have a pretty good idea what it's worth, and I ain't taking less. He gave the old man an intense stare. Frankly, O'Connor, I can't afford to take less. I've got something important to spend these credits on. If what I've got in mind works, you won't see me again. I'll be out of all this for good. All right. You've broken me, Adonian. I'll meet your price. Good, Han said, and began taking the items out of the backpack again. He left the store with a satisfied smile and carefully stowed his Genos Adonian IDs and the bank record into his credit pouch. He'd travel under different IDs and leave Genos Adonian clean, only using him for the bank withdrawal. 
He planned to store the golden palador in a safe place he knew about. It never hurt to keep a little something in reserve for emergencies. Knowing that O'Connor's credits would be waiting for him on the capital world of the Empire, Han headed down the street toward the shuttle station, whistling. When Han walked up to and through the gates of the Theron estate, he noticed a small, very sporty landspeeder hovering in the paved courtyard. He approached the door and found a young man standing inside in the parlor. Pavik Theron and his mother were there talking to him. When Sarah Theron saw Han, her face fell. She was hoping I'd cut and run, Han thought sourly. Hi, Lady Theron, Han said. Is Bria around? The young man turned to regard Han. He was a good-looking fellow, perhaps a year or so older than Han himself, and he was tastefully but fashionably dressed for an afternoon of netball. Hello, the young man said pleasantly, holding out his hand. I'm Dale LeVar, and you are? His gaze sharpened, and before Han could speak up, he exclaimed, Wait a minute. I thought you looked familiar. Talus Bryn, right? Han could think of no curse profound enough. He smiled weakly and shook hands. Hi, nice to meet you. Talus Bryn? Pavak Theron said sharply. But he's— Sarah Theron stopped abruptly when her son nudged her none too gently. Dale LeVar was oblivious to the byplay as he wrung Han's hand. What an honor this is. I still remember the day you set that record, and you did it by flying through the tunnel on tabletop mesa rather than over it. Everyone thought you were a gunner, but you pulled it off. He turned to Pavik. You mean you didn't recognize him? Is this Bria's new suitor? The swoop-racing champion of all Corellia! Your record still stands, Bryn! Or may I call you Talus? Talus is fine, Hans said with a mental shrug. The Vrelts in the kitchen for sure this time. Bria's entrance was a welcome interruption. Han tried to catch her eye and give her a look sharp, high sign, but all her attention was for the newcomer. Dale, what are you doing here? Your mother invited me over, Dale said. You're looking wonderful, Bria. I'm so glad to see you back safely, and with such a distinguished escort. I've wanted to shake this man's hand ever since he won the Swoop Racing Championship last year. She looked at her mother. You invited him over, mother? How nice. Han didn't miss the edge in her voice and the flash of guilt in Sarah Theron's eyes. Han thought angrily. Mama here wanted Bria to see me next to her rich guy ex-fiancé, figuring I'd come out looking like some kind of low-life jerk. Well, yes, dear. I knew Dale would be able to catch you up on all the news with the young crowd. Much better than I could. Sarah Theron twittered nervously. Bria's lip curled, and she turned away from her mother to smile at Dale. 
Well, Dale, it was lovely of you to drop by. Perhaps we can all get together for lunch some day. Who are you seeing these days? As she spoke, she moved toward Dale, and in one smooth motion took his arm and started him moving toward the door. Han smiled inwardly. Slick, Bria, honey, nicely done. Sulan Bellows, Dale said. She'd love to meet Talus, too. She's quite a swoop racing fan. Tal Bria caught herself immediately and laughed. Well, she always was. She cast a flirtatious glance at Han. I'll have to watch you, won't I, Talus? Sulan Bellos is gorgeous, and she's never been able to resist a swoop racer. Han smiled at her good-naturedly. Great, just great, from bad to worse. You gotta watch us swoop racers, too. We live for danger. Half out the door, Dale LeVar laughed as though Han had said something clever. Well, I'll call you. Nice meeting you, Talus. Nice meeting you, too, Han said. Don't forget to call, Bria urged, and then she shut the door behind Lavar and leaned against it. Silence ensued. Han had never heard such a profound silence, even inside a spacesuit in vacuum. He glanced quickly from Bria to Pavak to Sarah. All three were staring at him grimly. Han cleared his throat. Think I'll take a little walk, he announced. Get some air. Not meeting anyone's eyes, he left. Bria felt like screaming, then sobbing, but she struggled to control herself. The situation was bad enough without her dissolving into hysterics. She was pacing back and forth in her mother's dressing room. Pavik was sitting on the couch, waving his arms and raising his voice, and her mother was sitting in a pink brocade chair, alternating between gasped exclamations of, Oh, dear! and, Bria, your brother is right, we must do something! You heard him last night! Pavik shouted. He denied having swoop-raced, and he gave us a fake name. Han Solo, right! Who knows what his real name is? Stop it! Bria cried. Han Solo is his real name. Then why is Talus Bryn listed as the swoop racing champion of Corellia last year? Pavik said. He can't be both, Bria. Face it. The guy's using an alias, and the only reason to do that is that he's got stuff to hide. And this is the guy you want us to accept with open arms just because you say so? Oh, dear. Sarah wrung her hands. Bria bit her lip to keep from shrieking. And another thing, Pavik said. My memory is starting to come back on this, and Talus Bryn wasn't Solo's only alias. The time I remembered was about three years earlier. He was just a kid eating barbecue after a swoop race. That time, Solo was Kiel Garrus, the son of Venadar Garrus. Remember him? 
That guy who went around one summer selling shares in that Duraloy asteroid, and the whole thing turned out to be bogus? A scam? Bria did remember. But even if this Garrus man was a con artist, that doesn't mean that Han... Pavik threw up his arms in exasperation. Sis! Don't you remember how a couple of our friend's parents were nearly wiped out from buying worthless shares in that non-existent asteroid? He snorted. That whole Garrus family was nothing but a bunch of con artists. And that includes your new boyfriend, Bria. This is terrible, Sarah Theron said. Perhaps we should do something. Both Bria and Pavik ignored their mother. But Han was just a kid then, she pointed out, fighting not to give in to tears. You admitted that. He can't be held responsible for what you say his parents did. But he doesn't have any parents, or so he told us. Bria glared at him. Well, maybe they were his parents. And he's disowned them because they were crooked, she said. Pavik, Han is a good person. He's had a tough life and wound up having to do things he didn't like to survive. I already know that. But he's turned around now. He's trying to make something of himself. And you won't give him that chance. Pavik snorted derisively. If they even were his parents, he said. Sis, don't be blinded by good looks and the fact that he rescued you. Face it, this guy may have romanced you because he'd checked our family out and found that Dad has money. Oh, dear, Sarah said. Do you mean that the boy is a thief? That's exactly what I'm saying, Mother, Pavik said. I should go and check to see whether anything is missing. Sarah Theron gasped. Oh, dear, oh, dear, where shall I have him sleep tonight? Mother, he's not going to be here tonight, Pavuk said. I'm calling security. I'm sure this guy is wanted for all kinds of things. Don't you dare, Bria cried. If you call security, I'll never speak to any of you again. You're wrong about Han. He had absolutely no idea my family was wealthy when we met. I never told him until we got here. A guy like that has sources to check, Pavik pointed out. He probably checked you out within days of knowing you and found out everything he needed to know. No, he didn't. Bria, I'm not trying to be an ogre, Pavik said. I'm just trying to make you see reason. I don't want you to be hurt, and I don't want you to get involved with someone who lives on the wrong side of the law. Han isn't like that. Bria cried. Then, taking a deep breath, she amended. Okay. I admit that in the past he probably was. But he's different now. He's going to enter the Imperial Academy and become an officer. Can't you give him a chance? He's trying to change his life. That's what he's told you, Bria. But guys like that lie for a living, Pavak said. I'm calling security. Oh, dear. No. 
Bria stared wildly at her brother, for a moment wishing she were wearing a blaster. She couldn't let him do this. Pavik's hand was actually on the connect button on the comlink, when a voice from the doorway stopped him in his tracks. Don't, Pavik. I forbid it. All of them turned to see Ren Theron standing there. But, Dad, you don't know— Pavik began. Yes, I do, Theron said. I've been in my study, and the door was open. I've been listening to this entire disgraceful scene, and I'm telling you, Pavik, you're not calling security. But, Ren— Sarah Theron began. Her husband turned to her, his glance scathing. Sarah, I am tired of you trying to use our daughter as a pawn to further your social ambitions. You're most of the reason she ran away last year. So stop it. Do you understand me? Ren! Sarah Theron gasped. How dare you speak to me like that? Because I'm angry, Sarah. Angry clear through. Bria's father snarled. How can you be so blind? You don't understand the danger our daughter was in on Yelisha. Look! Seizing Bria's hand, her father dragged her over to stand before her mother. Taking her hands, he thrust them out before his wife's eyes. Look, Sarah! See her hands! See these scars! Those people mistreated Bria. They made her a slave. She might have died, Sarah, if not for Han. I'm grateful to him. Even if you don't have the common decency to realize that. He's a good kid. And I say that Bria could do far worse. But, she whispered, wringing her hands and beginning to cry. Oh, Bria, your poor hands, darling. Not one more word, Sarah. I forbid it. Sarah Theron subsided into her chair, weeping softly. Wren Theron whirled around to confront his son. Pavik, you've become as judgmental and class-conscious as your mother. I'm tired of you, too. Wren glared at the young man. You're talking about a man who risked his life to save Bria from slavery. Bria's right about him applying to the Imperial Academy. Han Solo is a decent guy. He reminds me of myself when I was his age. There are some incidents in my past I'm not proud of, either. He deserves a chance, not jail. He deserves our thanks, not a call to Corsac. When Ren Theron stopped speaking, silence reigned. Then, with a sobbing gasp, Bria ran to her father and threw her arms around him. Thank you, Dad. Han had walked the entire length of the Theron estate and was on his way back when he saw someone coming down the path toward him. It was Bria, and she carried a good-sized bag slung over her shoulder. Han saw her expression and stopped. What is it? Come on, she said, before we're missed. We're getting out of here. I don't trust Pavik not to make that call to security behind Daddy's back. Han turned back toward the transport station. 
You sneaked out? I left them a note, she said defensively. Did you get the money transferred to Coruscant? Yeah, we're fine, Han said. They walked for a few minutes in silence, then Bria said, Someday I'd like to know all the truth. I hate surprises of this sort, Han. He sighed. I should have told you. I will tell you everything. I promise. I'm just not in the habit of trusting anyone. I can tell, she said grimly. Nice of your dad to stick up for me. Daddy says you remind him of himself when he was a young pilot. She smiled faintly. I gather he led a rather checkered existence for a few years out on the rim. Han nodded and cautiously reached for her pack. I'm really sorry about this. Let me carry it. She sighed and surrendered her bag. Okay. It was probably a bad idea to come here anyway. After a moment, she reached over and took his hand. Now it's just the two of us again. Han nodded. That's the way I like it, sweetheart. <laughs>